House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You're back in the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle and KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. And I'm Al Warren. And I'm Kev Thompson. Boy, it's getting too much to say. Uh, <laughs> the other stations are not going to get listed. Sorry, guys. Uh, but we appreciate them. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to get right into it today because we've got uh, a great guest, uh, a good author. I, I really like his books. Um, and um, he was a contributor on the ABC um, miniseries or I think that's what you'd call it, short series, uh, The Last Days of Michael Jackson. His book is MJ, The Genius of Michael Jackson, and uh, his name's Steve Knopper. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, well, um, first of all, uh, how did you get into writing the book? What what drew you to write a book about Michael Jackson? Yeah, well, I I write for Rolling Stone, and um, I cover the music business for Rolling Stone and have for many years. And my previous book was about the music business and sort of about how, I won't get into the details, but it was how everybody got rich off of LPs and CDs, and then digital came along and kind of destroyed everything, the Internet and piracy and all that stuff. And in writing about it, I had this kind of preview chapter where I talked about the an earlier music business recession in the late 70s, um, and things were really, really bad after disco crashed. And then Thriller came along by Michael Jackson to kind of basically save the day. And so I did a lot of reporting, and I made a lot of contacts with Michael Jackson's camp. I got to know his former manager, Frank DeLeo, um, and I just kind of, you know, went with some of the things that they told me about Michael and used that for the early proposal. In addition to that, of course, I'm a, I'm a huge Michael fan, and, uh, you know, like everybody, got got into a uh, YouTube rabbit hole of watching his dance moves repeatedly in a loop, um, especially the famous uh, Motown uh, anniversary performance oh, where he right. did the moonwalk. Yeah. So, like, um, now, now, I don't know about you, but were, were you totally surprised about the death and, and how it happened in the early age, or did you sort of think he was in a spiral somehow and uh, it, it was bound to happen? I was surprised, like everybody. I mean, he was only 50, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, and he also he was one of those people in pop music, you know, there's a, there's a few of them who are just, they just seem larger than life. He just seemed like this magical guy who would never die. You know, he seemed immortal to me, um, and I think to most people too. So that on that level of it, it surprised me. At the time, I had been covering for Rolling Stone a little bit about the tour details, the This Is It tour, as you recall, that he was setting up, um, which which you know contributed to to his passing. Um, some of that some of that preparation, I think. Um, and and I, I was hearing, I was doing interviews with the promoters, and, like many people were, and I was hearing a lot of happy talk. I was hearing, you know, he's doing great. He, you know, there were some reports that came out that said he was in bad health, and the promoters and the publicists and the managers were coming out and saying, um, no, 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 those those are not true. He's fine. We have we have a clean bill of health from his doctors. That was that was the thing I kept hearing. So you know, I was skeptical like any reporter is because you know you never know what's going on in the Michael Jackson world or you didn't at the time but um, 
But mostly there was really no reason to think, other than these somewhat sketchy reports that had been out, um, that there was anything so seriously wrong that it might lead to his death. So, so yes, I was surprised for sure. Well, he was, he was, his empire was sort of falling apart, wasn't it? Like the ABC series sort of makes it sound like uh, he, was, he was literally broke. He was overspending, not getting enough income, and sort of had to do this last This Is It tour. Yeah, I'm not sure I would use the word broke. I would, maybe, <laughs> that might be right. But, but I would say it's, it's probably more accurate to say he was high, highly leveraged. You know, yeah. he, I mean, sadly, he, he had spent way too much, and, and he was in sort of a troubling business area um, at that time. And he, you know, had mortgaged a lot of his properties. Um, he, had, he had borrowed against some of his more valuable properties, most particularly the, the Beatles catalog, um, the Sony ATV catalog that he owned a, a large stake in. And so he, but he wouldn't, all this stuff that he owned, all these properties were valuable and they paid a lot of money. They were able to keep him afloat and live his lifestyle. But he borrowed against them so much that he, he had this incredible debt and he was, you know, I, I, the the ABC special had a certain number. I'm not sure it was as high as that, but but it was it was many many millions of dollars every year just to pay off the the interest on on those loans. So he was in a difficult spot, and um, I think he was interested in sort of um, a very quick and easy way of making money, um, so he could get out of that. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're uh, kind of a legacy artist, like on the level of Michael Jackson or Prince or anybody, in today's music world, or certainly in the 2009 music world, the easiest and fastest way to do that is through a series of concerts. Um, and that's what he did. So he, he was finally, he hadn't performed a, a real concert tour in years and years, and he was finally kind of talked into, uh, into this series of, of concerts called This Is It by Promoters. And and he went into it. He signed all the all the papers. I think he wanted to do it. Yeah. Now, oh, go ahead. Now, now the question begs to be asked: If he took out all these loans and was, as you say, leveraging himself, where was this money going? Well, uh, it, it's a little complicated to explain, and I don't have all the details in front of me. But um, you know, it was just a series of banks that that owned the the um, the papers that owned the the deeds on on various. Um, the things that he borrowed against. Like, this, uh, I, I'm trying to remember the names of banks. Bank of America, I believe, was one of them. But it, it was, it was just over, over many years, Michael had taken out loans to pay for various things, and he would put up the Neverland Ranch, he would put up the Sony ATV catalog as leverage. Um, and so therefore, the banks would come calling and they would say, you know, your, your money is due. And then he would take out another loan from another bank. And so this just kept happening. And, and eventually it got to be in the, in the high millions. Um, so, so this is, this is pretty well documented in, in my book and in other books. There's a really good book by, um, by a writer from Forbes, uh, called Michael Jackson Inc., which really gets into this in, in great, great detail as well. Now, now just to pre, um, we've got, um, <laughs> Aphrodite Jones. Coming on, and she her book that comes uh, out comes out in the thirteenth is the uh, m- called the murder of Michael Jackson. Uh, so I'm I'm sort of um, do you think there's a possibility he was actually murdered or it was planned? 
Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't think there's much evidence of that. And I, I have not read her book, um, and and so I, I can't speak to anything that's in it. Um, I do know that there uh, that there have been some accusations that there was kind of a conspiracy um, on the part of promoters, uh, particularly the AEG promoters and people in the music business, Sony and others, who sort of wanted him dead. Perhaps you know these as, as this conspiracy goes, you know his estate was complicit in this. Um, you know, because having him out of the way uh, with all, you know, and taking away all of his spending habits, then you're just talking about huge, huge profits, um, which ultimately came to pass. I mean, that's the way the estate runs now. There, you know, there's no gigantic spending coming out of the estate, but there's a lion. Um, and so the estate was able to sort of quickly right the ship um, and, and be worth hundreds of millions of dollars as it is today. So I do think when you take all those pieces together, you know, and you're a conspiracy theorist, you could look at that and say, there are some characters involved here who, uh, I'm, I'm summing up the conspiracy there. I don't really believe it. Um, there are some characters who, who are involved who, who had an interest in potentially doing this. But there's really no evidence for that. I mean, I, I'd be interested in reading Ms. Jones's book. I, I quote her previous book in, in my text as well. Yeah. And and that's the way it goes, isn't it? With with people who are like like we just said at the beginning of the show, you know, they're so famous that and and we love them so much that they're almost immortal. So if they do die, it's got to be a plot against that person because they couldn't possibly die on their own. Sure, and that comes up over the years with lots of different performers. I mean, people believe that Tupac Shakur is not dead, and people believe that Jim Morrison isn't dead. You know. So, uh, and, and, you know, there, there's murder conspiracies and, on all fronts of all of those. Um, and, well, yeah. and, you know, I mean, Kurt Cobain, you know, they're, 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 these things come up in, in various ways all the time. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, when, when, you're a, when you're a pop star and you have that much money and you're able to live in a way like Elvis, you know, where you're secluded and mysterious. Um, you know, it, it becomes intriguing about what's really, really going on inside. And then by the time, you know, the person passes away, you're reliant on kind of witness interviews to find out what happened, and various people are more credible than others, and you don't know who to believe, and the whole thing becomes very mysterious. Certainly that was, a lot of that was at play here. Yeah. But given the evidence, I think it's pretty fair to say that, uh, at least in my research, I, I don't believe that there was a conspiracy that he was murdered. No, no, no. Um, you know, and, but but Tupac is not alive. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I just saw him at the at the coffee shop. But, yeah, uh, I thought yeah, he was yeah. coming oh, I, in. I later. shouldn't have said that on the air. We got him yeah. coming in. You know, he's coming in <laughs> for an interview. I bet he has some. I bet he has very interesting opinions on Michael Jackson. I yeah. bet. <laughs> well, you know. And, I, Michael Jackson was kind of, he kind of, after that, the allegations, you know, we sort of mentioned um, about the uh, abuse with the minors and, and that. Um, didn't his record sales really kind of dropped off after that whole trial or event? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's hard to sort of talk about cause and effect. I, I do think that's fair to say. The, the, there are two sets of prominent um, allegations against Michael. The first wound up in a settlement, and that was in the early 90s. And that was right after, two years after Michael had put out the Dangerous album. And the Dangerous album was, was not 
you know, a sales juggernaut the way Thriller or to an extent Bad had been just a few years earlier. And once these child molestation things hit in the middle of the Dangerous Tour, um, you know, it, it definitely was something that affected Michael commercially. I think that's very fair to say. Would he have had this sort of natural drop-off anyway, you know, when he was coming off of his peak of, of megastardom? I think probably. I think Dangerous was a really, really good album and an underrated album. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it might have gotten its due in sales over time, perhaps, had these personal things not kicked in and turned Michael into sort of this poisonous media property. I think that's possible. Um, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, it, it seems to be kind of the way, I mean, you look at people that have lived that were um, multi-stars like Madonna and stuff, a lot of their stuff goes up and down, and uh, it, it has to go through yeah. cycles, right, just like with him. But um, with, with Michael, I think there was no, yeah, I'm sorry, just a quick point. I mean, there's kind of, commercially, there was no way, to, no direction to go but down. You know, I mean, he did Thriller, and that was the best-selling album of all time. Everybody had multiple copies of that album. I did. Um, and then, yeah, same. And uh, and then, uh, you know, you, you, you're not, he wanted to match that, but you probably aren't going to do that in your lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can only have one. You know, that just the way, that's just the way it goes. And uh, and it's hard to follow up something that that big. Because uh, because it'll always right. be judged against it, and there's just no way you could ever compete, you know. Right, uh, and and it kind of tortured him trying, but but uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Now now during the period of the allegations, though, what what I personally noticed is that it absolutely polarized the fans. It, it strengthened the ones that loved him, and if you're that weak that you're just going to simply buy allegations, then goodbye. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, it, it's kind of, um, when you think about the media coverage of that time, the media coverage had Michael Jackson on the front page on TV news shows constantly numbing every day. And the message that people were getting, particularly, on, I mean, so the, the legitimate news sources were more credible on this, but the, the, uh, the tabloids, you know, the supermarket tabloids every day were just these, you know, wacko jacko and, you know, on and on and on, <laughs> showing this monstrous personality. And the message that the public was getting on a sustained basis over a long period of time, even in the, in the credible media, um, if you go back and look at some of the coverage, it was very, very snarky and, and, and kind of biased in a lot of cases, was that Michael was guilty of child molestation. This was a man who was a child molester. Um, and Michael would come out and make these statements, and he would say, well, you know, I'm not a child molester, and, and you know, um, and I settled this case because I just felt like that was what I had to do for, you know, rather than go through the pain and torture and trauma of the trial and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the message after that was sort of, he must be guilty. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't need to be naive. I mean, there, there is certainly, Michael handled a lot of things in, with regards to his relationship with children incredibly poorly. We can talk about that if you want. Um, but I do think that the media coverage then and especially later for his trial um, that ended in 2005, the, the second wave of allegations, I think was extremely unfair and really contributed to a sort of portrayal of him that was this evil monster. And, and uh, 
I don't know. I, I think yeah. the media should really go back and study itself during that period. Well, I, I think the the, the media is a lost. I, 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 it's an art that's gone. Um, it, the the bias just kind of just run rampant now, and and especially in true crime because of shows like uh, Nancy Grace and stuff and that sort of yeah. ilk, you know, where it's, where it's total opinion and very little fact, but it's just, and people jump on and they, you know, they like or dislike someone, it's easy. I, you know, if for me at the time, I think I was swayed a little more positive that he was probably involved in something wrong, but since his death and over the time, I've sort of gone the other way. I sort of almost think that it probably didn't happen. So, um, you know, yeah, it's kind of one of those where, I mean, you know, there's no evidence or, you know, there's evidence, but I just sort of, like you said, if you watch some of the, and you go back to the old uh, news parts, it's, it is very one-sided. It's like, you know, it was, it was considered he was guilty. Yeah, I think that that's fair to say, and, and I'm in the media, you know, I've been, I've been working for newspapers and magazines and, and Rolling Stone and others for, since, you know, the early 90s, so, so I'm a veteran in, in uh, media and journalism, um, but, and, and I think it's fair to say, you know, Michael, to criticize Michael for doing things and to look at accusations, you know, certainly there are accusations coming from credible sources, the, the Santa Barbara uh, DA, um, you know, went after him and had a lot of a lot of evidence on his side. So it's, it's certainly fair to report that. But the the way the the credible and the kind of um, alarmist media, the the tabloid media, kind of reacted to this was, I think, outsized. Uh, it, it was it was really overdramatic. I, I think that someone should do sort of a day by day study of the way the media covered the Michael Jackson trial with an idea of what's fair and what's objective. And I think that, uh, I think that it was, it was, uh, problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it's really surprising that, uh, the nude pictures they took of Michael, the police never got out in the uh, public. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised about that. Yeah. You know, cause you know how it no, that's goes. True. Yeah, that's a good point. You know. Well, I'm, kind of, I'm actually re- relieved. I mean, why humiliate <laughs> the man's, no, I don't mean it like that. <laughs> But yeah. I mean, why you know why humiliate the man any any more? No, you're right, totally. I'm just surprised because you know how all of these leaks happen. I mean, you have bigger leaks yeah. from the White House. You have things that that get snuck out that are uh, you wonder how they would ever get out, and um, pictures of other people and other things, and this never happened, and he was such a big star. I'm just surprised. Yeah. You know. Same. And, and, you know, I, w- the point that you made earlier, I think, is a very good one, and that it's almost the exact uh, uh, continuum that I had while researching this book, which was I went into it thinking, well, I want to let the evidence tell me what's right or wrong. But I also sort of felt like with all the overwhelming messages that I was getting from the media, well, you know, and, and some of the statements, frankly, that Michael made himself on international television, you know, the bed with children and all that stuff, didn't certainly didn't help his cause in the public view. So I sort of went into it thinking, well, you know, there's some smoke here, there might be fire. You know, yeah. I was I was influenced by by other things that were going on at the time. But when I started to really do the research and really delve in and read all the transcripts of the two thousand and five trial, 
um, and, and read all the books and the evidence and do the interviews with, with many of the attorneys again from the early 90s settlement, I just felt like there's just no evidence here. And if you're looking objective, I mean, okay, if you have a feel for it, that's one thing. But if you're looking at objective evidence, I, I couldn't find anything, any evidence or research that suggested that 2005 not guilty verdict should have been overturned. It seemed like a fair verdict to me. Yeah. Now, you know, and, and I want to mention that, like, uh, for the listeners, that uh, your book, The Genius of Michael Jackson, you did over 400 interviews to get that um, together. And I did. You, so you, yeah. you really invested a lot of time and work. And this is a, a really important piece of work. If people want to get a real good, um, you know, a real good insider look and some realistic points of view, um, they they've got to pick up the book and 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 read it or listen to it like me who can't see. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, so it's important. I, you know, we'll have that linked on our site as well. Um, now, one thing um, I noticed too um, was that they talked about the picture of him just when he died and how it got out and how it got. What was it like? Four hundred thousand dollars or something. Yeah, um, are, we're talking about the, the oh, they, they talked about that in the show, yeah. in the ABC show, um, the one where the, the photographer stuck his camera through the window of the of the ambulance. Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, that. Oh, uh, yeah. I yeah. Had, I, had no I was idea. surprised by that too. I hadn't heard that story. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that story. I mean, that that was uh, that was kind of that was one of the things on the show that that kind of surprised me. That photographer was talking about how much money. I think he said that it almost got up into the seven figures at one point. Yeah, um, that's I, I, I never heard that. That's what I mean. That's why I, I was kind of bringing it up because I had never heard that, and I'm around the media yeah. too all the time. And 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 how could such an expensive picture have been put out there? But I, I, I geez, I've never seen it. I never heard about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and that that may be a hole in my research, possibly. But I, I was surprised when I saw that um, on the ABC show, and they they interviewed the photographer, and uh, you know. He seemed like a pretty credible guy, so I'm not surprised that it happened. I, I'm surprised it isn't all over the place. Like, why? That's what I'm surprised about. Whoever paid that kind of money didn't get their money's worth. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. We don't we don't know the other side of it. We only know the photographer saying what his experience was. I don't think they interviewed any editors or anything, um, any people from the publications about that. Yeah, and I should mention that I just noticed. I think yesterday on the on the. Um, news strip that uh, ABC is being sued now by um, Michael Jackson's estate uh, for Yeah, for I saw that too. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't know that they can really and, be infringing because they're it's a news special. It, it, so in news, when you're broadcasting news, a news story, um, you're allowed to use anything that's out there like that. So I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Yeah, I agree. I was surprised by those suits, that suit as well. And there was an announcement immediately before the show, like the day before, where the estate said it was upset with the way the ABC show was using uh, the copyrighted music. You know, I'm not an expert on, on fair use. Um, so I do think that there is sort of, you know, you, you can quote things from a news point of view or use footage. I'm not sure you can play the entirety of Billie Jean and say it's news. You know, I, I don't, uh, the original recording, I'm, I'm thriller. So, so, you know, there's a line somewhere on fair use, and I don't know where that is. So I think the estate is trying to say that the show 
um, use you know some of that music and cross the line. Yeah. Um, I haven't obviously I haven't seen the lawsuit yet, um, but you know I don't know. I, I thought that wasn't unusual. I, I uh, uh, you know it, it seemed I don't know anything about it firsthand. I was just interviewed for the show. Right. Um, but it seems strange to me that ABC wouldn't. Um, you know, dot its I's and cross its T's legally in, in figuring out for itself. They have very, very good lawyers over at ABC, um, you know, in figuring what is fair and what isn't fair. And I also thought the timing was curious. Like, I, I you know, I was part of the show and I was excited about it. Um, but I hadn't heard a whole lot of buzz going into the show until the estate announced that be- immediately before. And then suddenly everyone was talking about it. Yeah. It was all over the place. And then there was another spike... Yeah, and then there was another spike after the lawsuit was filed after the show had come out. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, and I, I just don't understand the point of the estate sort of. Yeah, I, I mean, I watched the show. Um, I was in the show, and, and I didn't see anything that would have made the estate content-wise be, you know, offended. It seemed pretty factual to me for the most part. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't. So, it's, so to me, it's just an, an issue of fair use and, and intellectual property. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I can't really speak to, to the specifics of that. Well, you know, without, without, I guess, um, I guess it's an awkward situation, but if I was to ask, uh, did you think it, they did a good job of the series? I mean, uh, I didn't, I know that I came out of it not thinking Michael Jackson was bad. Like it didn't taint Michael Jackson. So I'm not sure why they're upset enough to sue. Yeah. I, you know, I better shy away from commenting on that because I really yeah. enjoyed the show, the show. And I was part of it, and they were super generous in putting me in there, you know, and I, yeah. I felt like they were, they were very fair. And they came over to my house. I live in Denver, Colorado, and uh, they sent a local crew to my house, and they interviewed me for about three hours. And uh, it was, uh, you know, a remote voice on the phone. They rearranged the furniture in my living room. And um, and the person I was talking to was actually a guy in the production crew who had a big beard. So I was staring into this guy's eyes for three hours, and he wasn't even asking the question. Yeah. So so it was after at the end I was sort of like, and it was lunchtime, and I, I was yeah. sort of like, what did I just say? So I, I was worried, but um, but I thought the show came out really really well, and I was happy with how it was portrayed. So I, I'd better not get into too much. No no no, that's fair enough. Critiquing the ins and outs of the show. No, fair enough. I I just I'm just surprised because I, I I'm not exactly sure why they were so upset with with the show because i thought it was a pretty reasonably done show it seemed pretty fair and i didn't really get the feeling that they were making michael jackson out to be a terrible person and all these things wrong and so i was sort of confused and then when they brought the lawsuit it's it's about infringement about using of his music and i kind of thought well that's silly because they just play bits and pieces like any other news thing it's not like they're selling the album so, yeah, and yeah, I agree. Yeah, it also it isn't well. It's my understanding that you can only use like twenty seconds of somebody's music, and it's considered sampling. Yeah, yeah, you can, and you know, and each thing has its own own because um, what we do on radio is different than what they can do on TV. I, you know, but like I said, and it, it, I don't know, it's confusing. Um, well, it's a little different with radio. It's a, just a quick point. I mean, it's a little different because most radio stations, if not all, in the U.S. have have licenses to be able to use almost any music that comes out on a record label or through through a publisher. Right. Um. So, so that's a little different than like a TV show 
using a specific piece of music for news reporting purposes. Yeah. I didn't know about the 20-second mm-hmm. threshold. You might be right about that, but, but there is some threshold on fair use somewhere, and I don't know enough to know about the show whether it violated that or not. Yeah, you, you, if you use more than 20 seconds, there, there can be a charge for it on radio. Right. Um, I don't know how the TV works, but it seemed to me the focus was not on any of the music. Do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like a mm-hmm. special where they were talking about this song and then next he released this and all that. They weren't like going through his catalog. So, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. You know, in yeah. his death, in his death itself, and the doctor that got, got charged and actually um, convicted and sent to jail, what was your opinion on that? And do you feel that it was a fair verdict that you feel like the doctor was responsible and should have spent some time in jail? I do think it was a fair verdict, yes. Um, and and I think, you know, if, if that, I mean, he was convicted of, of manslaughter, and I, and I forget the total number of years he spent. I think it was something like four. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the exact amount, but, um, but we're talking about Conrad Murray. And, you know, if anything, there was, pretty extreme negligence going on there. I mean, it's, it's very well documented. It's in my book. You know, the evidence came out in, in court um, that Dr. Murray was um, kind of sitting outside Michael's room after he'd given him these deadly doses of propofol on the phone with various people, um, kind of not paying attention to someone he'd just given a, a really potent dose of a, of a, of a drug to. So, um, so basically... Uh, you know, something went wrong in there. And, uh, and I do think that Dr. Murray was, was responsible for it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, uh, he, he was, a, he was negligent. He was, a, he was a bad person. You know, whether he committed manslaughter, I mean, that's for the courts to say. I, I, I don't think that was his intent. I don't think he said, tonight I'm going to murder my client, Michael Jackson, my patient. Um, but, uh, but I do think that there was some, some, uh, really bad stuff happening that night. Did, did you ever get the impression, I, I don't know if you interviewed Murray, but I was, I'm wondering if you got the impression that uh, Conrad Murray was um, scared of Michael or intimidated by Michael Jackson enough to give him that kind of a drug, which you're not supposed to have in a private home anyway. Um, so he was doing something he knew was illegal and doing it for his client, but was it because it was Michael Jackson and do you think he was intimidated and and um, he felt like he had to do it? I'm not sure he was intimidated. I, I don't. He's given some interviews, and some of them are a little nutty um, over time, so I don't know if he's ever actually come out and said, I was intimidated. And he's talked to the police, and he's given, you know, um, depositions and so forth. Um, but I do think, and, and I didn't interview him, um, but I, I did interview a bunch of people who knew him and read a bunch of stuff about him, of course, um, and my impression of Dr. Murray is that he was kind of a pleaser. You know, he was someone who wanted to do good in the world and wanted to just do what people, do things for people that made them happy that they wanted to do. I got the sense that he was not super experienced or good at saying no to people. Um, and, and Michael was sort of this, um, I don't know, golden goose kind of client that landed on his lap, um, you know, out of the blue. And, and, uh, you know, he, he just happened to have a connection with him and Dr. Murray was, uh, heavily in debt. That's pretty well documented too. Um, he, he owed a lot of money to a lot of different places. And I think when he came across Michael who could give him a bunch of money and then yeah. he was hired by AEG, uh, or rather out of Michael's advance, 
um, through, through the This Is It tour, uh, you know, this was a sizable amount of money that he was getting. So I think he just wanted to keep getting that money. So, you know, when Michael said, give me the milk, and, you know, which is pretty famous, infamous now, um, you know, Dr. Murray should have said, no, sir, this is not good for you. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, instead, he, he took another route, and that was obviously very much tragically the wrong thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, this doctor was balancing, you know, okay, this is not a good thing versus this man is paying me an awful lot of money and I want to continue that flow. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. That, I do think he was struggling with that and he came down pretty clearly on the wrong side of it. Yeah, I just, I, you know, it just, I'm, I'm just speaking from relative experience and, and you, you, you probably felt this way years ago too when you start, uh, you know, being with Rolling Stone especially, but when you start doing interviews with people and they're, uh, famous people, and you start to to meet them. Um, there was a certain intimidation. I, I remember my first interviews with people, and uh, I was sort of um, almost scared a little. You know, you didn't you you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to. So that's why I was thinking. Well, I wonder if he was, if he's not used to working with such a big star, um, if he just sort of felt he had to do it. Yeah, I think that that's fair, too. And I'm the same way, you know, as a journalist who occasionally gets to, to meet celebrities. You know, all, you, you're this hardened interviewer with experience, and then all of a sudden you're in a room with whoever, and you go, uh, hello, can I have your autograph? Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's definitely a play. <laughs> yeah. um, but in addition to that, I mean, I'm not sure if Dr. Maria was aware of this. I don't think he's talked about it. But Michael had a reputation over many years of sort of, if he had an advisor who said, or a family member even, who said, hey, Michael, you should stop spending so much money on X, Y, or Z, or, hey, Michael, you should stop taking so many drugs, or, hey, Michael, you should tour, or you should tour a different way, or this and that. He had a long-standing re reputation over many years of sort of saying, okay, you're fired. And, and he would do this to his own family members. He would do this to longtime confidants who had a track record with him, um, and he would do it to, you know, he, would just, he was constantly replacing people on his team, you know, business advisors, lawyers, managers, um, you know, on and on and on and on. So I'm sure Dr. Murray had some awareness of that, too. I'm sure that there was, there was a dynamic of, if you don't give me this, look what's going to happen to you. So how do we explain that? I mean, did he live in a delusional world and didn't want to be told otherwise? I do think there was, per, that's a little strong, but yeah, I think that there's some truth to that. Uh, I, I think of Michael's final years, perhaps as many as five or ten years, as being somewhat Elvis Presley-like, where he surrounded himself with sycophants, um, and yes-men and, and people who would just sort of say, yes, we'll do what you say. And his judgment, you know, for a variety of reasons, but one prominent one was sort of this encroaching drug use and this encroaching reliance on painkillers, which it's somewhat well documented, but it was kind of up and down over a long period of time and definitely more up, obviously, at the end. Um, and so Michael's judgment was not always 100% correct. No one's is, but he had some other issues. Um, and he would just, uh, you know, constantly be hiring and firing people to do these things for him. There, there was a, an interesting period before the This Is It shows, before he was partnering with AEG, where he didn't want to tour at all 
Like he just was done with that because touring was was grueling for him. You know, he did. You know, he wasn't James Taylor. He didn't just sit on a stool at, in a, on a stage and strum his songs on a guitar. Like he had to do all those moves. He felt he had to do all those incredible moves that he'd been doing for many many years. And by the time you get to be fifty years old, it, it gets a little bit more difficult. Um, and it takes its toll on you. Oh yeah, yeah. Kevin can tell us about that. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to dance for Blimpendales, and I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Are you doing the moonwalk right now during this interview? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would, it would, it would be more like the Mars, Mars roll. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just, now, now, did you interview a lot of the family um, during the time? Were you able? So to- I. No, I mean, I, I did not interview the family for my book. Um, I tried really, really hard. Uh, the closest I got to them was I went to see the, the Jacksons who had been performing sporadically, um, you know, as, as a singing group, obviously without Michael. I went to see them at a casino in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I won't tell you the, all the details, but through a series of events, I wound up for about six seconds in a hallway with all the Jacksons. And uh, I just kind of, my mouth was open because I just kind of landed in this hallway through coincidence. I was lost in the casino. And uh, and they were all standing there and they started singing a song. They started singing um, Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave from, from Stax. You know, it wasn't even a Motown song. It was a competitor to Motown. And they were all singing these beautiful harmonies, Jermaine and everybody else. And I was just kind of like, abba, abba, abba. And then they got in the elevator and then. It took off. It was like out of the scene from a movie. That, that was the closest I got. But I, I never did talk to someone from the family. I did talk to, you know, some uncles and some cousins and stuff like that. But no, as far as the Jackson 5 or the parents, um, I did not speak with the family. Well, from, your, from, from the interviews you did get, did you feel like the um, family handled it well? And do you think that the, the parents, especially the father, uh, has quite a reputation? Do you think it's well-deserved well or do you think it's a little exaggerated? Um, well, that's a pretty complicated question. Uh, did the family handle, are you sort of talking about Michael's um, yeah. issues at the end of his life? Yeah. It, yeah. I, that, that's a tough thing to find out. I do, I, you know, from all involved, um, at almost every source I talked to, um, did not have a high opinion of Joe Jackson. Michael has said on many very public interviews, Oprah and others, that his father physically abused him. Um, there, there is a discussion of sort of, did his father beat him or did he whip him? You know, and, and that was something that, uh, that I got into a little bit in my book. Um, but abuse is abuse. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's fairly well documented that, that, um, Mr. Jackson abused Michael and perhaps others of his children. Um, and that's bad. So I, I do think he was a bad guy. He had some problems with business decisions with regard to the family group. Um, and so Michael was understandably, um, distant and skeptical of his father. His mother, Michael, is always close with until the end, but, you know, in the story of Michael Jackson that's retold frequently, um, she comes across a little bit like an enabler. She she didn't turn against Joe. She, she you know, sometimes sort of went along with it. So, you know, I, I think she has kind of an ambiguous relationship with, with her family sometimes, as far as that goes. Um, and so, you know, there's some question at the end when Michael needed help uh, and was his family actually helpful to him? And there's some dramatic scenes, you know, Randy, who was close to Michael off and on at the end, like was one of his business managers towards the end, 
um, and, and was a bit of a confidant for a while. You know, he, he has this dramatic story about where he, you know, goes to Michael's house in Vegas and kind of smashes it with his car into the, into the guard tower in the driveway or the, mm. the barriers in the driveway, um, trying to help him. But there's sort of a micro point of view that says, you know, my family is just trying to get money from me. So it's a little bit hard to say which is correct. The family has said in court and elsewhere sort of we were trying to help him. We knew our beloved Michael was having these issues with drugs and we wanted to help him and stage these interventions. And Michael would say, my family is a bunch of money grubbers and, um, or I should say that sources close to Michael have said this. There have been books and stuff that have been written about this. Um, you know, and, and his point of view was sort of, well, these guys are just coming after me because they, I'm the, I'm the, the provider of money in the family. They just want a, a handout. And so there was this kind of tension there. And, and, uh, you know, in the end, Michael didn't get the help he needed. It's a, it's sad. It's tragic. It's terrible. Yeah. Now, is it true he was a Jehovah Witness as well? Michael? Uh, he was. He was growing up. Um, and there are funny stories about that. You know, there, there, his, his mom was a devout Jehovah's Witness. She discovered uh, that religion um, while they were in Gary, Indiana, I believe, in, in the in the fifties and sixties. And she raised her children that way. I think Joe went along with it, although he was a little bit more dubious. You know, he was, Jehovah's Witness is a pretty strict religion that doesn't allow drinking or partying. I think Joe <laughs> was okay with those things. Uh, yeah. So there was a little bit of a, you know, he, he didn't go along with it 100%, from what I understand. But there are very funny stories about, in the 80s, at the peak thriller years, when Michael was the most recognizable person in the universe, of him sort of knocking on doors and spreading the good news as a, as a Jehovah's Witness throughout L.A. and other places. <laughs> um, so there, there's people who talk about that. There, there, I have sources who claim that, you know, they were in their bathrobes and they answered the door in L.A. and there was Michael, you know, handing out literature. That would be a cool story. <laughs> yeah, it would. Well, don't they have the Watchtower magazine or something? <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, the, I think the, the thriller edition. Yeah, the thriller edition. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, what do you think the biggest um, contribution Michael made was his music, of course. Uh, so what was your most, uh, you know, being from Rolling Stone, what do you think was the uh, the best or the most influential music he did? Man, uh, you know, I think Michael, <laughs> that's a hard one to answer because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan, you know. I, I think he was a genius, as my title suggests. And, you know, song-wise, I think uh, I go back and forth between Billy Jean and Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Um, and I would, I would have conversations with sources who worked on those, those various songs, and someone would say, you know, yeah, I worked on Billy Jean, and that's the best song Michael ever did. And I'd, I'd say, you know. But what about those stop till we get enough and we have an argument? And then I do vice versa yeah. on the other side, you know. So those, for me, it's those two are sort of the twin towers of his of his solo career. But there are other great ones too, and of course those you know those four Jackson Five singles, um, ABC and I'll Be There and The Love You Save and uh, 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 I Want You Back. Um, you know those are those four are just absolute classics, just stone cold classics that stand up today. You know, they sound like they were made yesterday. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think he has this really deep and rich catalog. I, I was reading, there were some people on Twitter recently going around talking about how, you know, comparing Beyonce to Michael Jackson. No way. Um, and I love Beyonce. I mean, Beyonce is fantastic. She's, she's one of my favorites. And she does have a few incredibly memorable kind of timeless songs. But, 
you go through the micro catalog and there's 30 songs that just bring you back. You know, there's, there's just on and on and on the entire. And and I think too, you get deeper and deeper into his catalog, which I was privileged to do for this book. That was sort of my job for a while. It was great. Um, you know, you start delving into like the bad album and the dangerous album, and those albums are really much more rich than they're given credit for. The ABC show and other shows, you know, kind of do the thing where they go, Michael was a star at Motown, then he had his second life as a solo star as an adult, and then there was Thriller, and then Bad had some hits, and then we stopped talking about it. But there are a lot of there's a lot of music that came after that that was still really really good and interesting and rich and deep, black or white. You know, on and on. Um, Earth song. I mean, I think his catalog is much deeper than people give him credit for. Yeah, yeah, and you know, people like Beyonce have to put in the years and the time and and survive. We have to see her survive over a period of time. Um, She's been around a long time now. She has. I know. I'm, I'm starting to realize that I'm getting really old because. Yeah, she's she a seemed, veteran. Yeah, seems like she just started, and it's not tr- that true. But you know, he had a good. You know, he went from the '60s right through till he died. Um, that, I just think that if you're, I mean, it's kind of a silly comparison, but if you're car- yeah. comparing Michael to Beyonce, Beyonce yeah. has a couple of songs, "Crazy in Love," a couple others that are sort of, I will recognize this and dance to it wherever I am in the world. Yeah. But Michael has thirty of those, thirty or forty of those. Michael is much more akin to the Beatles. You know, on, on that level. Right. And it just doesn't have the same nostalgia. I mean, I can listen to Beyonce and, oh, okay, that's cool. But when you hear Michael Jackson, I mean, it takes me back to a, a great time in my life. Yeah. Sure. And and I'm a Beyonce fan, so I'm not, I'm not going to get into sort of, you know. No, no, no. And it's just, it's tough to compare. You can't <laughs> not, compare Yeah. It, you know, and then, you know. We have yeah. to wait and see how this, how how her music survives and what happens. You know, we just don't. You don't know. You know. Yeah, agreed. So and now, no, now, I, yeah, I was just going to say uh, that the kids. Um, have you had any dealings with uh, Michael's three children? I haven't any dealings with them personally. I tried for interviews with them, um, and I wound up kind of getting to some people who knew their situation and were close to them. Um, and I interviewed some people on that level. Um, but I, I didn't really get too much into the kids, a, a little bit. Uh, and and I, could, I I kind of lost touch with it, so I can't really tell you too much about what they're, what they're up to now. Okay. I just wasn't sure. I, I You know, it's um, it's kind of... I, I, I guess they'll turn out okay. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, their, their beloved father died when they were very young. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's sad for anyone, and I think we should have empathy for that. Um, they seem like they've been pretty stable. You know, Paris did that cover story for Rolling Stone, I guess it was about a year and a half ago. That was really, really good and interesting. Um, and they're, they're getting up there now. You know, they're getting close to their 20s. I, I, think, uh, I think the older child prince is right around early 20s now, maybe late teens. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't hear too much drama coming out of their camps. So uh, you know, knock on wood, they, they've uh, they, they're pretty stable, and uh, hopefully things will be good for them. And we don't really know if he was was he their biological father. We don't know. Um, the The first two children, um, it's it's pretty well known that Debbie Rowe was the mother. Um, you know, that's pretty well acknowledged. 
you know, and Michael was the father, but it, it's kind of unclear how that happened. <laughs> that has not really come out um, in any definitive way, certainly not officially. Um, and then the third child, uh, uh, Blanket, um, he, you know, his, his father is, is not known who he is. That, this also was pretty well documented in the ABC special and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a little bit of mystery. There, there's been some speculation about who the father really is. Um, I, I have not really seen it proven 100% one way or the other. Mm. Well, um, I guess we should uh, let you go. I know the time's up and you've got uh, many more interviews. You're very popular now. Um. <laughs> oh, I'm interviewing some people myself. I, oh. I, uh, it's not people interviewing me. So. Oh, okay. Well, well one, one more question now. Okay. One more question. Sure. And, and keep in mind, Steve, we have psychics on staff here, so I'll know if you're lying. Oh, no. Okay. Back in the 80s, did you buy the sequined glove that were on sale in stores? I did not. I'll be, I'm going to be, okay, since, since you have a lie detector situation on me, I'll be totally honest. I, I'm 49, and in the 80s, I was a teenager. I was in high school, and I was dogmatic. And I regret it now, but I only liked classic rock. I, I only liked Led Zeppelin and The Who and The Doors and that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't like alternative rock. I didn't like punk. I didn't like hip-hop. I didn't like Michael Jackson. I didn't like Prince. I didn't like Madonna. I was pretty limited. <laughs> and I, I'm ashamed of that, you know. So, so the, the whole Michael Jackson spectacle kind of, I'm, I'm from Denver. It rolled through Denver, and I went to see Bruce Springsteen, but I didn't go to see Michael Jackson, so I, I regret that in retrospect. You know, over time, I mean, it didn't take very long by the time I got to college to kind of correct that, and I spent the rest of my life kind of making up for it by having more diverse tastes, um, but uh, I certainly fell in love with Michael later, but it was a bit too late. But I think that's okay. I, I think that because, if anything, if you uh, listen to music after the uh, the hype is over, um, and if you really like it, it's kind of actually um, maybe it's better. It shows more. Um, it shows more um, content in the music then. I think so. I mean, and and you know, if you're someone who tries to be a biographer or a historian or a musicologist like me, that's that's certainly the way to go. And it's it's easier to study. And I'm glad I've come to a lot of his music and as as I'm older and know more. But I wish that I I sort of had the uh, instinct to sort of go. In addition to seeing Springsteen at the local stadium, I should also go see the Victory Tour. You know, I wish I wish I'd had uh, I'd had that instinct when I had the chance. Yeah, for sure, get get in it. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Um, uh, our guest has been Steve Knopper, and the book is The Genius of Michael Jackson. Um, thank you very much for being on the show. Of course, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Steve.